WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Did you know that one of the strongest forms of radiation used to treat cancer can be completely blocked by a sheet of paper? To tell us more about developing radiopharmaceuticals or a way to treat cancer, we're here talking to Nathan Kaufman. Hi, Nate. Thanks for joining us today. May you please introduce yourself and tell us more about your research? Hi, yeah, I'm Nate Kaufman. I'm a fourth-year MD-PhD student at Michigan State University in the Colleges of Human Medicine and also the Comparative Medicine and Integrative Biology program. My research involves using locally delivered radiation therapy to induce an immune response against cancer in the hope of destroying the cancer in a systemic way. Thanks for joining us today, Nate. Now, one thing that you said caught my attention. What does it mean to deliver radiation locally versus what other kinds of delivery methods are there? So when I say locally, I'm meaning directly into a site of interest. So most forms of radiation or the most common form of radiation that most people would know of is external beam radiation. And that is also technically delivered locally because the beam is focused on a particular cancer site. However, it's delivered in an external fashion from the outside of the body through the skin and then going into the body to deliver the dose. What I want to do with my project is I want to go inside of the body, either with a catheter or a needle, and get right to the tumor site and deliver the radiation dose attached to some sort of vehicle and deliver it locally in that fashion. So actually internally rather than externally. Now, something that people may not be clear about is if chemotherapy is the same thing as radiation therapy. Can you please give us a little bit of background about these different ways that people are trying to treat cancer? Yeah, absolutely. So there's really three pillars of uh, oncology treatment or cancer care, Um, and those include surgical, chemical, or medical, and then radiation. So surgical is pretty straightforward. That's when we actually know where the tumor is, and it's in a location where we can get in surgically and just directly remove that tumor, and that's usually one of the best courses of action. Chemotherapy the second pillar, that is includes delivering a chemical that is targeting the tumor in a systemic fashion all over the body. Uh, and this chemical is lethal to the tumor and is also lethal to some of our healthy cells, but mainly to the tumor, and that's why it works. The third pillar is radiation, which I've kind of talked a little bit about being both external and internal. So that's where actual ionizing radiation is delivering that toxic killing to the tumor. One thing that Chelsea had said to introduce this episode was how one of the strongest forms of radiation can be blocked by paper. Could you touch upon that statement a little more and what does that exactly mean? Yeah, so there's three major forms of radiation that we care about. The first form, alpha radiation. The second form, beta radiation. And the third form, gamma radiation. So gamma radiation can come from a lot of different things, and it can actually come from outer space. And there's actually gamma radiation all around us right now that is delivering a very low background dose of radiation to our bodies. So radiation is actually something that we kind of constantly... The second form is beta radiation. Most of the medical forms of radiopharmaceuticals or drugs that deliver a radiation dose, most of those work through beta radiation, which can penetrate about a millimeter into tissue. The third form, alpha radiation, the one that can be blocked by just a sheet of paper, that only penetrates a few microns, so even less than, a couple, even less than that one millimeter. So that can actually be an advantage for tumor care as it only targets the tumor rather than healthy tissue. Thanks for providing that background. 
I think it's really important for our audience to actually understand what are the types of radiation out there and why you're using it. Now, I would imagine like you were saying that it's better just to take out the tumor if possible, but like if it's a brain tumor, obviously we can't do that. What specific areas are you focusing on in the body when it comes to your research? So one really cool part about not only my research, but the entire field of radiation therapy is that it can really work in a lot of different tumor types when you're talking about tumor anatomical locations or areas in the body. So there's radiopharmaceuticals out there for thyroid cancers, for some endocrine tumors, liver cancers, many others actually. And so my research specifically is on breast and prostate cancers, but there are many other targets that we can also look at. How exactly are you delivering these alpha emitters to the tumor? Are you using a specific kind of delivery vehicle? For my project specifically, I am attaching my alpha particle emitter onto a molecule called macroaggregated albumin, or MAA for short. And the MAA actually stays lodged within the tumor upon injection, either directly with a needle or after a catheter is strung up through the arterial system, otherwise known as the blood vessels, right up to the tumor edge. Now, this is very different from targeted alpha therapy, which actually is targeted, meaning that it actually targets the tumor in a biological way or has a biological target that is tumor specific. So those drugs can be given actually systemically and will naturally find the tumor on their own. I'd like to understand more about how you're conducting this experiment. Is your experiment being done on animals, humans, or maybe even a cell culture of prostate cells? Yeah, so again, my project is on both prostate and breast. Right now, it's actually mainly on on breast cancer and also breast cancer models of disease in mice. So when we have cell culture, we can simply just add the radiopharmaceutical. In this case, it's the MAA I was talking about earlier. We can add that directly on top of the cells and culture and deliver the radiation dose that way. In mice, since they're too small to actually use a blood vessel catheter to deliver it directly into the tumor, we instead use a needle and come from the outside and puncture the skin and then deliver the dose through that locally. One thing I'm curious about is, does the MAA have any significant side effects? Are people allergic to this compound or is it a pretty benign compound? That's something we always have to consider, right? Whenever we think about any type of pharmaceutical that we're putting in someone's body. The MAA is something that we chose because it's already FDA approved. And it's already used in a really wide swath of different radioactive studies, nuclear medicine studies, actually. The reason that it's used and why it's so successful is because since it is such a large aggregated molecule, it actually gets lodged within the blood vessels. And so that is very convenient for imaging the lungs to see if there's a blockage and things like that. So on the same, on the flip side of that same coin, we run into an issue where if we deliver a lot of this aggregated albumin to the body, we have a chance of it going down into the lungs and causing a clot in and of itself. And that's pretty much the only side effect we worry about. However, in these studies and in the planned studies, we won't be delivering nearly enough to do that. And also the other advantage of MAA is that it is naturally degraded by the body within a few hours. So usually we'll run into an issue there. We actually had an episode about repurposing drugs that are FDA approved. I want to understand the criteria of your study more in depth. Now, whenever you're conducting this experiment, is it on a specific stage of cancer? And how long do you follow up with the mice to see how they're doing and how they react to the radiation? Kind of the tricky part about this study, because there's a whole immuno piece that we haven't really talked about yet, but when you want to work with an immune model, 
you need to use everything that is associated with that model. So if we're using a mouse model of disease, we need to use mouse cancer as well. And so that makes it kind of difficult to really pick a particular stage of cancer or be, be too specialized with the type of cancer you choose because there's only a certain number of mouse cancers available for us to do these experiments on. Um, and so the goal is that if we can solve this kind of cancer immunology related problem in mice, then we can move on to human studies where we have human cancer in humans. Now, you said some words there that caught my attention, the immune system. Why do immunology studies matter whenever we're studying cancer? Yeah, so immunology, believe it or not, plays one of the biggest roles in cancer development. So normally when there's bacteria in our body or there's cells that are acting naughty, just like cancer cells might, typically our immune system comes in and and takes out those bad actors or those cells that are kind of acting up and, and gets rid of them. The issue with cancer is that it's found a way to not only escape the immune system from kind of putting it in time out, but it actually manages to take the immune system and use it as an ally and help it build up its defenses even more. So it's very critical to try and find ways to kind of turn the immune system back on and actually be anti-cancer rather than pro-cancer. When you put it that way, it makes sense why people would want to research how you can actually get an immunological response whenever cancer does form inside of the body. And it's great that targeted alpha therapy is being developed to try and make radiation therapy a lot safer. Regarding the alpha emitters, what isotope are you using for the targeted alpha therapy and how is it produced? Yeah, so our lab is using the radioisotope lead 212. And so this is the same kind of lead that we worry with lead poisoning and water and things like that. And so this isotope has a very short half-life. And so when it's given to, you know, put it on cells or put it in the mouse, it usually decays very quickly, only within a few hours. And the way that it's produced is through a generator. And so there's two ways to produce radioisotopes, either a cyclotron or a generator. And a cyclotron is basically a really big machine that speeds up subatomic particles to incredible speeds and strikes a sample and causes that sample to go through a reaction. The generator's similar in the fact that it still has a sample going through a reaction, but it's not in a giant cyclotron. It's just in a small contained area where the reaction is allow- allowed to occur. And so that makes it much easier on us to get that dose and use it for our experiments. We've had a few episodes featuring students at the National Superconducting Cyclotron Laboratory here on campus, and soon Efford will be working too. Are you working with MSU to get these isotopes? Also, do you need any specific kind of clearance in your lab to work with them? Yeah, so everyone that works with radioisotopes has to go through pretty extensive training and clearance and also monitoring called dosimetry to make sure that you're staying safe during operation of radioisotopes. And so the EFRIB is going to be a really cool opportunity for us as nuclear medicine lab because they will provide us with very exotic or new radioisotopes for us to experiment with. The new radiopharmaceutical facility in the radiology building at Michigan State, which is soon to open, is going to allow us to bring in these different generators that I was talking about earlier and actually elute them manually on site. And so the fact that we can have them on site and then take the sample that's decaying when we're ready for it is going to be a really big advantage and really help us drive towards a cure. Yeah, that new radioisotope harvesting capability is going to be really interesting to see how it impacts nuclear medicine in the region as well as radiological tagging. Throughout this episode, we've been talking about how you're working to deliver locally different targeted alpha therapy techniques, or no, different targeted alpha therapy compounds. However, when you have cancer somewhere deeper in the body, how does that change the delivery method of targeted alpha therapy? Is that something you're interested in, or is your laboratory only focusing on stuff near the surface? 
So that's kind of the, the crux of the study and caring about the immunology side of things is because you're right. A lot of the times the main tumor, the primary tumor is somewhere we can access pretty easily, but then we have these smaller metastatic sites that are typically the ones that are really difficult to treat. That's what's made chemotherapy work and also systemic targeted radiotherapy work is that since it's delivered systemically, it can actually access those sites that we might not even see yet. The focus of my project is to use radiation delivered locally to induce the immune system to do that job for us. So instead of delivering systemic radiation or systemic chemotherapy, all we do is deliver local radiation therapy and then let the immune system do the job for us. And how does the immune system awaken in a sort of way? Do you maybe activate a specific type of cell in the immune system? Yeah, so the tumor is actually a very complex kind of city of cells, and the tumor is at the very center of, of the city, and the tumor is controlling all these different types of cells and what they do and what they can't do. And so what we're trying to do with the radiation therapy is to essentially convince those tumor cells to give the wrong instruction to the cells around them. Once they do that, the cells that now have these new instructions go and tell the immune system what's really going on. And that gives the immune system kind of the, the ability to come and find the tumor where it didn't have the ability beforehand. It's been discovered that there's actually lead right now in the Benton Harbor water lines, and people are having to resort to drinking bottled water at this point now. You had the alpha emitter that you said you're working with is the isotope of lead. That made me wonder, is the amount of lead that you're putting in harmful to whenever it's introduced to these tumors when it comes to the rest of the body? Right. So an important thing to remember is that the lead that we're giving, it's not working on the tumor through the chemical properties of lead. It's actually working only through the radiation properties of this specific isotope of lead that is decaying through an alpha emission. So the lead that we are getting through bad piping or through old paint, that is a different isotope of lead, which can do the same chemical properties. However, the amounts that you would be getting lead in those two cases at an extremely high multi, multi-fold level, higher than any type of radioactive lead that we would give. And so that's actually a really large advantage of nuclear medicine in general is that we don't have to give very much to get the result we want. And so everything's only given at a very trace amount, which makes it particularly safe. I really like how novel your research is in the way that whenever you're delivering this alpha radiation to these tumors, that you're tricking the body to have an immune response. Whenever you're delivering this radiation to that specific site, the whole body's having that immune response. Would other tumors that are not in that radiation area also be able to be eradicated by the immune system? Yes, that's exactly right, Chelsea. So that's something that we call the anabscopal site. So abscopal basically means a site that wasn't treated, but it's still getting tumor size reduction. And so that's kind of the whole point. So chemotherapy can do that and our other systemic therapies can do that, but localized therapies cannot do that. So by combining the localized therapy with immunotherapy, that's how we're actually able to achieve this abscopal effect and get a complete immune response against the cancer. So not only is that good for treating the cancers that are currently in your body, but it essentially makes you vaccinated against similar cancer types that might be on the rise. Let's talk a little bit more about this abscopal effect. I'm assuming you're talking about this in mice right now, but has there been evidence of this in humans as well? Actually, yes. So there has been some examples of the abscopal effect in humans, and it's typically occurred with treatment using external beam radiation therapy. But there's only been case reports here and there about it. And the reason is, is because we didn't really understand why it was working or how it was working. 
And so that's the importance of these mouse models is that we finally figured out the exact pathway and the exact dosage and schedule that gives us that episcopal effect. This is going to allow us to continue to expand chasing the episcopal effect to multiple different cancer sites and then eventually into human trials. Now, speaking about human trials, how difficult will it be for the next step whenever you are translating it from the mice to the human trials? That's a really good thing to keep in mind whenever you're doing something like this. So it's going to be a very difficult process. Anything that needs to be FDA approved before a phase one clinical trial or a trial to see if your pharmaceutical can be safely given to humans. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind while doing any type of preclinical experience is how we're going to actually take it to the next stage. Now, even though pretty much every time you want to bring a pharmaceutical to the clinical human clinical stage, it's going to be a difficult process. However, in our case, we've been trying to use FDA-approved agents and strategies to make it easier to translate to human trials. We've also been using cancers, which offer very good opportunities for us to do this intervention, as there are not very many other therapies out there. Well, that's still really exciting, and I think your work will be very impactful. I wish you the best of luck on your research in the future, and thank you so much for talking to us today, Nate. Yes, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast and I hope everyone learned something. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>